0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times That with your WWE Survivor Series 2021 Ultimate Preview. That's right, Getting Over is back once again and we are here to preview One of WWE's four or five, depending what you believe, major pay-per-views in a given year, Survivor Series. We're also going to talk about everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw over the last week, both leading into the show and creating storylines going forward for the remainder of 2021 into that day one pay-per-view to start, kick off. 2022 so yes this is a loaded show it's also one of the weirder shows we've ever done because specifically of the build to survivor series itself being weird so we will talk about all of that momentarily i will bring in vintage chris vanini to do so but first folks a reminder that the getting over wrestling podcast so please folks stop being marks Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. Drop a five-star rating. Leave a review, a written review. Let people know how much you love this program. Tell them why you listen. Tell them why they should listen. Give us shout-outs maybe for, uh, you know, segments that we do on the show or the fact that you love our Ultimate Previews and our Instant Analysis Podcast. Whatever you can do, tell people why they should listen, why they should subscribe. All of those reviews help us massively also please please do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast and there is no better time to follow us than a pay-per-view week not only do we give pre and post show polls where you get to give your expectation grade and your post show grade for pay-per-views we also do live shows on twitter spaces for free and you will get one of those on sunday at 6 30 p.m eastern at wwe Survivor Series 30 minute pre-show, we will make sure we finish before the actual kickoff show begins, that way you get to hear our thoughts and watch the entire pay-per-view as it unfolds, Uh, we'll break down basically everything, uh, everything match by match that's going to be happening on a card as well as potentially some fallout from SmackDown because the go-home show is happening two days before the pay-per-view and unfortunately we have to tape our WWE shows earlier in the week because that is how we do things here. So yeah, uh, there's plenty of reason, like I said, to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. With that, let me welcome in Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome to the show. This is going to be formatted a little bit different than most Ultimate Previews. Chris has some other obligations. He is not going to be able to be with us for the entire show. So we're going to talk a little bit now in the intro. The Silver King is going to move into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly himself. And then Chris will join us again at the end of the show for the WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview. And every single segment in this show, as with every episode of Getting Over, is timestamped in our description. So if you happen to be listening to this uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, right before the pay-per-view, you can just skip right ahead to the Ultimate Preview at the end of the show. Chris, I thought this was a really interesting week in WWE television. SmackDown and Raw, at least to me, were both good shows. But something interesting happened Monday night where the first two hours of Raw were hot. I was excited. Good things were happening. Uh, there, There were solid promos and storytelling. And then hour three of Raw just completely fell off a cliff. It's like hours one and two were written by whoever's been writing the last, you know, six weeks or last four weeks of Raw that we've enjoyed since the draft. And then it seemed like hour three was written by whoever had written it for the prior 18 months. Uh, And I'm sure it's the same people, but I just don't understand how that's possible. Whereas SmackDown, I thought was consistent from hour to hour one to hour two.
1: Yeah, it it was a weird week because we just kind of have so many multiple things going on and they're only kind of half-heartedly building to Survivor Series. So we get Monday and Kevin Owens, Finn Balor happens and I, Thought this was the main event and I'm looking at my clock. I'm trying to figure this out. What exactly is going on? I'm like, I don't remember what the main event of the show is. (laughs) We still got an hour to go. So I think that pretty much sums up uh, that third hour of Raw.
0: Yeah, I mean, they basically didn't announce. They announced the match, but they didn't announce what the main event was. They wasted 20 minutes. We'll talk about it later of where nothing happened at all. No promos, no matches. Nothing happened on television except commercial breaks, video packages, and a card breakdown. And then all of a sudden you get a match that could have been 30 minutes because they had enough time, ended up being about 14 minutes. It was just the weirdest hour three of Raw that I can remember probably since like Retribution existed and Raw Underground. Like it one hadn't of those, been like
1: those One of those where they had the second hour as the main event of the show, basically. Yes. They like... To yes. to to do halftime of football games or whatever it was, it, and not, I mean not only that, you talk about the the pausing for video packages. We had we had multiple like matches followed by matches involving similar people who are paired together. It felt like one of those shows where the roster was half not available, and they had to vamp to spread out time. Very very
0: weird for a go home show. It was exceptionally strange, and yeah, and the other point that you made is look WWE, and I give them a little bit of credit here, you know. A lot of the criticism in past years with Survivor Series is you do it right after the draft. All these people on each team, they're representing Raw. They're so excited for Raw. They're so excited for SmackDown. But why do they actually care when they just had the draft and these people shouldn't have any brand loyalty? So they realized that and they tried not to do brand loyalty storylines this year. And instead of that, they use the time on each program to create storylines that are Raw specific and create storylines that are SmackDown specific. And I have to say, I thought that was a very smart move. However, you also have to build towards your pay-per-view. So if you wanna spend the prior couple of weeks doing that, or maybe each week you build individual brand storylines, but there's one storyline each week that is brand versus brand. So one week it's the women, one week it's the tag teams, one week it's the men's individual, and then maybe another week it's the, the five on five traditional teams but you, you space it out and you create a mixture of everything in one show. Instead, you have people like Becky Lynch going to the ring and, and Big E going to the ring and cutting a singular promo to two different people at once. And it's just, it's confusing and a lot of stuff happens. So I give them credit for keeping things separate. They I guess they got some feedback, but they also kept things too separate. When you're building to one of your pillar pay-per-views, That is all about brand versus brand. It's the one time all year where brands fight each other. Well, guess what? You actually just did it for four weeks leading up to and past the draft until you set the rosters and now we don't care anymore. So it was very convoluted, this build to Survivor Series, and it affected the television programs. I actually think Raw and SmackDown the last two weeks were both very good entertaining TV shows to watch. But at the same time, I couldn't get over, like, why aren't you building to your major pay-per-view that's this upcoming Sunday?
1: Yeah, it's 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 weird because I I think the storylines, the Raw and SmackDown specific storylines they are telling are are quite good. And I'm interested in them. But we've got this pay-per-view happening, just interrupting it. It's like the reverse of Crown Jewel, which was often just thrown in there in the middle of storylines. Right. And instead this year they built toward Crown Jewel. And now we get
0: Survivor Series and they're not building towards Survivor Series. So it's just kind of a strange dynamic. And, you know, listen, credit, Crown Jewel vastly exceeded our expectations. And it was by far the best one of those blood money in the sand shows. But now we have Survivor Series, which look, over the last four years, the builds have been terrible, relatively terrible. I mean, there's been individually great moments, Becky Lynch getting punched in the face and all that type of stuff. Um, But the pay-per-views, the Survivor Series pay-per-views have been incredible. Many of them have been among... WWE's best pay-per-views of the year over the last couple of years. But this year, the build is so weak that going into the show, I'm not I'm anticipating really good wrestling because the matches are exciting. But I don't like have that anticipation like that this feels like a major pay-per-view. It just feels like a show they're right. putting on almost like a tribute for the troops or a Saturday night's main event you know, or something like that. It doesn't feel like Survivor Series.
1: No, I, I mean, you know, for all the talk about whether or not it's still a big four, it's never felt less like one than, than this year, I think. So, yeah, I think it'll be really good wrestling, Um, but it won't mean anything. And that'll be really interesting in terms of how we grade it.
0: That's actually a really good point. So what we're going to do right now, folks, is Chris has some other commitments he needs to tend to. The Silver King is going to take you through the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're basically gonna talk about everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw that did not specifically pertain to Survivor Series, but I'm gonna save a lot because we are gonna bring Chris back, like I said, at the end of the show, in the final segment of the show, for the WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview, where we're still gonna go through a lot that happened on SmackDown and Raw, but specifically as it pertains to the matches on the Survivor Series card. So with that, let's slide into the main event. So let's start with SmackDown, where we had Roman Reigns versus King Woods in a non-title match. Caleb Braxton tried to interview Reigns, who had Paul Heyman speak instead. Heyman added a stipulation that the loser had to bend the knee, and if Reigns lost and refused, he would not only drop the WWE title, but get banished from SmackDown. They also did similar graphics to last week, which popped me. I told you guys how much I love those. Uh, Wood said New Day had a really rough week with Kofi Kingston injured, Big E eating the apron powerbomb from Kevin Owens, but he would pull through and make Reigns bend the knee. The stipulation for me that they added here, it just felt completely unnecessary for Reigns. It's a move they pulled before they did it for the WrestleMania match. Uh, Just have a non-title match. We know it's big stakes. The guy hasn't lost since December 2019 in a singles match. Like, that's enough of a reason. You don't need to add something to it, but WWE obviously felt they did. Uh, So the match went on. Woods got up early with a missile dropkick and a tope dropkick. Reigns put him into the announce table with Uranagi. Reigns dominating, halting all of Woods' rallies until he hit a step-through tornado DDT, forearm, and heel kick for a near fall. Reigns caught Woods flying with a Uranagi for a 2.5 count. Woods countered the spear with a super kick and then avoided one with Reigns flying into the post. Woods then hit his springboard elbow drop finisher across almost the entire ring. It was pretty impressive. When the Usos pulled him out of the ring on the fall and drilled him into some steps, flinging him over the announce table. Reigns then bent the knee as he promised he would, as the Usos, though, put Woods' crown on Reigns' head. So he didn't so much bend the knee to Woods as he bent the knee, period, and put the crown on. So the look, let's break it down. The match was quite good. stars, I guess, on a B, something like that. Without a DQ finish, it could have definitely gone a lot higher. But I saw a lot of people really angry about the finish. I thought it was quite smart. It paid off the stipulation. It added heat on Reigns. It gave Woods a reason to continue going after him while excusing maybe an absence for a week or two. I presume just a week because Survivor Series, obviously, is Sunday. And it also created more hatred for Big E, which helped build their match at Survivor Series with Big E not being able to be on SmackDown every week. So, you know, I thought it was really solid. Now we'll talk about the Big E Reigns thing later in the Ultimate Preview, but this to me worked in every way, especially since Woods got to hit his finisher. Strong stuff from top to bottom. The only thing I'd have done differently is having Woods suggest the stipulation because he's so obsessed with the King gimmick, as opposed to Reigns who did it just because he's the tribal chief and wants to be the only royalty or figure like that on SmackDown. It is notable that this should have been, or it was, Reigns' first singles loss, even though it was by disqualification, since December 2019. That's 699 days, nearly two years. Now, one of you tweeted me, and I did not get a chance to check the reference, that this was ruled a no contest. By WWE instead of a DQ, presumably to keep Roman Reigns undefeated. If they did that, that's just absolutely ridiculous and pathetic. I don't know if they did or not, um, but I'm going to believe the person who tweeted me and say that they did. It's just absurd if they did that. But it also doesn't really matter. We know that Woods would quote unquote would have won if the count was allowed to go on. So the USO saved it from happening. Uh, but that means Woods basically beat him in the ring, and it gives him a reason. To have another match with Reigns. Now, like we said, there is a long way to go before that day one pay per view. After Survivor Series, it's at least five. I think it's actually six weeks. So I assume that match is going to happen on television before day one. But if they're able to hold that off and get Roman Reigns against King Woods, who's over as Rover right now in front of an Atlanta crowd, which is Woods' hometown, they can sell that. That's going to be a really big pay per view match. And it would be a great elevation of Xavier Woods. So I do hope ultimately that's what they do. Over on Raw, the wasn't really a major storyline. I presume that the goal was to try to elevate Kevin Owens on the show ahead of what looks to be a showdown with Big E. So that's the part of this that we're going to discuss in the main event. Big E called out Kevin Owens for being treacherous and a liar. KO came out. He explained that he snapped because he lost three weeks in a row and perception that Big E helped perpetrate is reality. No one believed it, but he was honest the entire time, is what Owen said. KO then blamed everything that happens on Raw going forward on E, but unfortunately, nothing happened over the rest of the show to pay that off. So when he said that, I thought he was going to go backstage and attack people. He was going to take people out of commission. He was going to, you know, use weapons on someone, Um, go to Adam Pearce and demand something. Nothing happened. So, you know, they didn't pay it off right away. Maybe they pay it off starting next Monday. Adam Pearce told Big E later that he needs to have him focused on Survivor Series and trying to beat Roman Reigns. He wanted him to stay out of other people's business later in the show, and he cited the way he dealt with Brock Lesnar as a warning of potential consequences. So now we have Adam Pearce healing it up with Lesnar, healing it up with Big E, and as we'll talk about later, healing it up with other faces on Raw. The guy is clearly a heel. I don't get it. Also something we'll talk about later. Uh, Finn Balor fought Kevin Owens, which I thought was going to be the main event of the show, but ended up being the mid-show main event. Uh, Balor walked up to KO backstage and said he wished he could have told him last week that he didn't trust him with the rest of the roster. But since Seth Rollins already wrestled and Balor and Rollins had a match that was scheduled and announced, he got a match made with KO. This was a good battle Baller hit his tope. Owens hit a great rolling avalanche senton for a near fall. They countered each other. Baller hit a sick missile dropkick on KO into a barricade. Owens avoided a coup de gras and hit a pop-up powerbomb for a near fall. Baller blocked a flying senton with double knees and hit a missile dropkick. But KO hit the ropes on the coup de gras and then hit Baller with a stunner for a clean one, two, three. It was surprising to see KO get such a clean win over Baller given that you believe they're planning to push Balor as one of the top baby faces on the brand going forward. At the same time, if there is a time to beat Balor, it's right now, while he's number one, not involved in anything, and two, still reeling off the Reigns loss. They also did need to give KO a big win if you are trying to establish him as a challenger for Big E, especially considering they mentioned on TV he had lost his last three matches. The roster on Raw now is just so deep that you wonder whether they actually had to do this. Why couldn't they just have used someone else? But the wrestling was really good at 3.75 stars and a B plus. It was, like I said, a damn good match with a little bit more time, a little bit more importance. If they could have amped up the importance, the way the match felt going into it, this easily could have been a high four, four star rating if they, you know, really pushed it to that degree. But I thought it was smart that they kind of called back to some of uh, Kevin Owens' struggles. And I'm just kind of interested to see where this thing in its entirety is going with Rollins and Owens and Big E. Are they going for that triple threat at day one? Are they going to do a couple individual title matches on Raw that get disqualified because the other person interferes setting up that triple threat at day one? Like, I don't know what they're going to do, but maybe I do know what they're going to do considering. I think I just broke it down for you. Uh, But that's the main event. Like I said, the majority of the big stuff that we're going to talk about is Saved for the Ultimate Preview later in the show. So be sure to keep listening, obviously, and find that. But before we get to the Survivor Series Ultimate Preview, we first got to talk some good, some bad, and some ugly. ugly ugly. Now, we are going to start with Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch, but I want to clarify that, again, the Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch head-to-head stuff, we are going to talk about in that Ultimate Preview. So we're going to talk about the individual storylines that they're building across SmackDown and Raw to start, and then some other extraneous things that happened across both shows. So Charlotte Flair, after cutting a promo about Becky, uh, said her new nickname should be The Star Maker. That led Tony Storm out to say Flair doesn't help anyone while Lynch actually defends her title on Raw. Then she challenged, the crowd chanted Yes. But Flair said, absolutely not, and left the ring. Many, including me, have complained about Storm not being on TV, not being in the Survivor Series match. So it was really nice to see they did not forget about her. The crowd popped after her promo, and maybe there's a little bit of momentum here. So this was definitely a good segment. And the fact that we have Tony Storm going up against Charlotte Flair. This upcoming Friday, we have Shotzi going up against Sasha Banks. Over on Raw, we have Liv Morgan going up against... Becky Lynch, which we're going to talk about in a moment, that is a huge positive momentum in terms of the women's division. We just recently were talking on this podcast about the same women challenging in never-ending feuds, the upper card getting time and the rest of the card not. Well, maybe the upper card is still the portion getting time, but if you start rotating in other women to give them opportunities and show that they can go, then that hopefully will tell WWE, hey, when they fight in mid-card matches... They deserve time here, too, because people really like them. You're not going to have Bianca Belair wrestle a three-minute match most of the time. When you have the opportunity to have her on your TV, you want her to go seven, eight minutes. So the hope is that Tony Storm, Shotzi, and Liv Morgan, who are three of my favorites, three up-and-comers, I think, have a lot to offer. If you can make them the next wave of women's talent, along with Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, you really have something great on WWE television. And it seems like they're taking the steps in that direction. Let's hope they continue. Uh, And we'll continue here with Becky Lynch, who, after cutting a promo about Charlotte, was interrupted by Liv Morgan, who was mad Lynch didn't respect her by not continuing to stand face to face with her on that announce table to end Raw, but rather walking away. Becky says she left to give Liv a big moment since she gets so few of them and called her out for telling the world in interviews that Becky wanted her to shine while she was on maternity leave. Then she had WWE era clip to call back that from four months ago. Lynch said she didn't mean to get Liv's hopes up and didn't expect her to underperform so badly. Dagger. The point was for Liv to win while Becky was gone because she won't have a chance to touch the championship now. Liv said big time Bex is actually a big time bitch. Really good line. And swung at her. Becky dodged it, tried the manhandle slam, but Liv countered that into an arm drag. Forget good. This was great. Expert level promo stuff from Becky. A plus plus promo segment when you take her stuff about Charlotte and add it with Liv. Liv was elevated by the entire interaction. Is she the B side? Absolutely she is. Okay. When you take someone like Liv, who's, look, I'm not being insulting, relatively mediocre at promos, and you put her head to head with arguably the best women's performer on the mic and one of the best overall performers on the mic male or female in professional wrestling right now. She's not going to shine, you know, in a major way, but what I think Becky did was help elevate her in that segment. Becky's in ring segment and we'll talk about the other half later. It was my favorite thing on WWE television this week. Not matches, not anything with Roman Reigns or whatever. Becky Lynch in this moment, she was perfect on the mic. She batted a thousand in that segment. She started and did a baby face promo, took a breath and then did a heel promo in the same segment and both of them were incredible. I just can't sing her praises enough. I'm sure I'll do it more later. I was so impressed with Becky Lynch on Raw Monday night. Bianca Belair fought Tamina on Raw. Belair cut a promo on Drop backstage stemming from last week when Tamina stepped up to challenge instead. This went back and forth for a bit. Belair eventually escaped a Samoan Drop and hit an impressive KOD Given Tamina's size for the win, Dewdrop came out after and said she'll be looking for Belair after Survivor Series. I didn't get the match time. It wasn't long, but it also I don't think was insultingly short either. This is the type of match WWE should do more often on TV for its stars, especially with Natalia and Tamina putting over younger talent, not just people of the caliber of Bianca Belair, but people of the caliber of Liv Morgan and Tony Storm. And Shotzi, and when I say caliber, I don't mean their talent, I mean their station, really, their level currently in WWE. This was good if I wasn't clear about that. Uh, So then they did two women's matches back to back on Raw. Nikki Ash versus Queen Zelina was the first one. Melo distracted Nikki on the top rope, and Zelina won with the code red in two minutes and 45 seconds. Absolutely pathetic. Then we did Rhea Ripley versus Carmella. Ripley smacked Mella so hard in the back, it was audible, that was kind of cool. And then she had a Northern Light suplex for a near fall. Mella kicked her in the head twice for a near fall, but Ripley came back with the Riptide for the win in a little over four minutes, slightly better. Zelina then cut a promo where she purposely spoke with her bad accent, but yelled at the crowd in American English, calling Nikki pathetic for being forced to sit at home while the rest of them are all in Survivor Series. So the Nikki-Zelina match was insulting and ugly. Absolutely ugly. The Ripley Mella match was four minutes on TV, but it apparently started during the commercial break and went two or three minutes longer in the arena. So, okay, that was fine, I guess. Again, all WWE needs to do when they continuously do this shit is have one match instead of two. Let it go eight minutes instead of one match that's 245 and one match that's four or five minutes. You're you're just it's nonsensical. Only have the Nikki match and let Nikki lose if that's what you want to do. Um So whatever, I'll meet in the middle here and call it bad instead of ugly because there was at least some storyline here. But it's just so tough when on a show and a week of television, you can have a great 13-minute women's match on SmackDown, a really good five or six-minute women's match with Tamina in it, uh, a solid match with Rhea Ripley and Mella that, again, went longer than we saw on TV. And then you just throw in the dog shit of Nikki Ash, one of your women's tag team champions, being pinned in 245 to Zelina. Just ridiculous. Uh, over on SmackDown, Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs fought Los Lotharios. Nakamura did his great sliding powerbomb on Humberto. Angel broke up a near fall after a flying knee. Angel then threw Boogs into the ring post and saved his cousin from a Kinshasa. Angel stopped Nakamura from re entering the ring, and they combined for a springboard flying kick while pinning Shinsuke. So there is nothing wrong with the wrestling here. The booking is just. Nonsensical to me. Why is the Intercontinental Champion not spending? I mean, I guess it wasn't the Go Home Smackdown, but basically the equivalent of it, not building either the feud for Survivor Series or a future feud on Smackdown like all the other champions are? Or why is he losing, period? You have Rick Boogs in the match. Why is Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, taking the fall to a brand new tag team? Despite my appreciation that they're actually pushing Los Lotharios, there's other ways to do it. There's other people on the roster for them to beat. So for me, this did not make a shred of sense. Beating Nakamura before Survivor Series makes it even stupider. Zero point Mr. Glutarski. And if you can't tell, that's an ugly from the Silver King. Uh, The Street Profits fought Alpha Academy on Raw. The Profits had a funny interaction with Riddle backstage. Commentary called him Four Point Otis a couple times, which was pretty funny given Chad Gable's new tweaked gimmick. Montez Ford hit a few great topes, and Otis went on a huge run where he destroyed Ford. Angela Dawkins took Otis out at ringside. Ford jumped to the top rope to catch Gable, only to be pushed down. Gable then did a flying crossbody, but Ford rolled through for a really tight pinfall. It was a really exciting, fun match. I really want to see Alpha Academy start winning. (laughs) Okay, the current champions are faces. Yet you have, and we're going to talk about it in a moment a heel versus heel match, and then a heel versus face match here where the faces win. So I like that they're pushing Chad Gable. He's getting mic time. Otis looks great and dominant. They've actually done something really good with Alpha Academy. They made it honestly better for the main roster than Heavy Machinery ever was, but they're not following through. These guys need to be followed through with, and truthfully, they actually need to win the Raw Tag Team Championship sooner than later. And I hope WWE books it that way. Other than the result of the match, me disagreeing with that and wishing Alpha Academy would have won, this was definitely good. Uh, AJ Styles and Omos fought the Dirty Dogs, also on Raw. Styles and Omas were backstage with Styles pissed off that he still has to deal with the Dogs and RK-Bro while saying they were like the Avengers as a team. The Dogs said they were actually like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in Twins. I gotta say, the idea that both of these teams are sitting around in their off time watching movies together, Styles and Omas and Ziggler and Rude. The idea of that, the picture in my head is pretty funny, uh, but the segment and the promos were ridiculous. Styles and Omas made their promo good because there was an aggressiveness and a good interaction between the two of them. The dogs one was just completely corny. As far as the match, Omas demanded to be tagged in and called out Dolph Ziggler, Styles, and hit the phenomenal forearm for the quick win. So WWE booked the number one contenders for the tag team titles, in the dogs, who already lost a title match, but became number one contenders again to lose a regular match for no good reason whatsoever. This right here is ugly booking. Zero point zero. And I'm now realizing since this was the Dolph Ziggler one, I really should have used the other 0.0 drop that I used earlier. Zero point zero, Mr. Glutarski. But nevertheless, you guys get the point. Hit Row cut a rap promo backstage on SmackDown, where they said absolutely nothing. Separately, Shanky put a hat on backwards and rapped in Hindi as Jinder Mahal hyped him up. Mahal then rapped and they danced, calling them Cringe Row. It wasn't substantial enough to be ugly, but it was close. Why can't Hit Row just wrestle or be in front of fans in the middle of the ring? One of the cool things about Hit Row in NXT is that they cut promos and did their raps from the studio or they did them when they came out, and then they'd wrestle and kick someone's ass. Now they're just doing it walking around backstage, or they're doing shit with Sami Zayn. You have these guys on your show. Get them in the ring. Allow them to cut a promo and rap simultaneously in the ring, or make them look super cool and do it in a studio setting, not just by road cases backstage. They're not in trouble yet, Hit Row, but they got to get moving soon. This was bad. Uh, Ridge Holland cut a promo standing in front of Kayla, which was the weirdest thing. You had Kayla Braxton, and then she's like reaching around Ridge Holland, while he's his body is half in front of her. I don't understand why they did that, but it was very, very weird. Holland said Sheamus was legitimately his idol because he showed him that you can make a living by hurting people. Cesaro walked up to say he knows Sheamus well, and Holland should be careful because Sheamus's attitude has changed. Holland said he and Sheamus would be a more effective team than the bar ever was, and Sheamus will be back next week if Cesaro wants to ask him. I gotta say, two weeks in a row, and I'm pleasantly surprised by Holland's promo ability, even with it being scripted. I also love the storyline involving Cesaro and Sheamus here with the newest beefy Brit type of guy. Holland really has a chance to be something, and simply put, so far so good here. I'm very curious what this ends up Being Right. Is it what I projected on last week's show where Holland tries to get in Sheamus's good graces? He doesn't fall for it. So Holland beats him up. Sheamus turns face and then he reunites with Cesaro and the bar reunites. That's great. Is it a situation where Holland and Sheamus actually form a tag team and Sheamus gives this new young guy some rub? That's great too, especially with Cesaro as a foil for them to start. All all of these machinations work. So look, credit where it's due to SmackDown. They have me really interested in this. And does it help that I liked Ridge Holland coming in? It absolutely does. But nevertheless, this still works for me. Okay, so that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Definitely an up and down week in WWE. Let's get to that WWE Survivor Series 2021 Ultimate Preview, bringing vintage Chris Vinny back into the show. Chris, welcome back. We have a six match card uh, with four different champion versus champion matches and two five-on-five traditional Survivor Series matches. The fact that we have six matches announced when I think four uh, were only announced as of like a couple days ago is pretty incredible. And I don't know what they're going to do between now and Friday SmackDown or between SmackDown and Survivor Series on Sunday, if they're going to add another match, a pre-show match. I don't know what they're going to do. All the champions are currently, you know, involved. Even the women's tag team champions. One of them, Rhea Ripley, is set in a match. Nikki Ash certainly is not. Obviously, uh, the twenty four seven champion. I think it's Reggie. Still, he's not involved either. Uh, but everything else seems to be set. I do believe this card is going to be, you know, firm at six matches. I-, I would be very surprised if they add a kickoff show match. If they do, I presume it would be not a brand versus brand, but just a storyline that's ongoing on one show or the other that they just throw into a kickoff show. So, you know, we're going to talk pre-show expectation grade at the end of this, but going into this card, knowing the matches, knowing the participants in the matches, how strongly do you feel about it? I am excited to watch it,
1: but I don't know if I'll think about it again, you know, by Monday, (laughs) by Monday Night Raw, um, because it's, Largely not going to continue, except for the Survivor Series teams. I guess I should. Th- those have some some things
0: going on, but and yeah, the main I mean, event. We, I think the main event too. Roman Reigns and Biggie. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's
1: true. I, I mean, you know, last year we got the Ro- that's true. Last year we got the Roman Drew match, and that was a spectacular match, and we have not gotten it since. And so, you know, the the idea if the idea of this show is supposed to be we're going to give you some matches you don't normally get to see. We're getting that with the main event. We are not getting that with the SmackDown, with the, with the women's match, because we've seen them uh, many times. a time. Yeah. But yeah, we got the four champions versus champions and the two Survivor Series. It's a pretty simple card, and I think it'll be fun. It just, outside of that main event, probably won't really mean anything. So it's
0: weird. That is true. Every match except the women's match is fresh. It really, they really are fresh matches mm-hmm. that we have not seen. So that is nice. So let's kick things off with the match that has the least build out of any, because it was just announced on Raw after a video package of Damian Priest. That was the entire build to the match. The mid-card champions going head to head, Shinsuke Nakamura, the intercontinental champion on SmackDown, Damian Priest, the United States champion on Raw. So leading into this, Priest has basically done nothing. Since the draft, he's had a couple matches with T-Bar where he was able to show that he now has a dual personality, the Damian side and the pre side. Shinsuke Nakamura, we just discussed it in The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. He lost a tag team match where he was the one who took the fall to Los Lotharios on SmackDown. (laughs) Why you would beat your Intercontinental Champion at all when you have another person in Rick Boogs there, I don't know. Why you would do it ahead of a major pay-per-view where he's a, a champion and he's going head-to-head with another champion. I have no idea. But what that tells me, Chris, going into this match, is they value one of these champions and maybe not the title that he holds, but the, the moniker of champion for that person more than the other. I do think Shinsuke Nakamura and Damian Priest has an opportunity to be a sneaky, not good, but great match. They're both extremely talented in the ring. Their styles clash a little bit, but it could also be a strong style battle, especially. When Priest flips that switch in his head and becomes Damian, um, you know, or or however they're actually going to make that work, they, these guys can work really well together. I think it's going to be a banger of a match. My prediction for the match is Damian Priest, because if you're going to beat Nakamura on SmackDown, then there's no reason for him to beat Priest at Survivor Series. Right. And yes, you're you're, honestly...
1: It's weird that this is a champion versus champion match because it'd be really easy for you to forget that both of them are champions. Absolutely. Uh, They're just, they're not relevant titles right now. And Nakamura is getting pinned and Damian Priest is going through a character change. And it's like, oh, these guys are supposed to be your, you know, your mid card champions. And it's very strange build for both of them coming into this. I do think it could be a sneaky good match. And like we said, it's a fresh matchup. So I am intrigued to see kind of how they mesh together. So, so that's something.
0: Yeah, these are guys who respectively have been on SmackDown and Raw. They were on SmackDown and Raw before the draft and they remained there after the draft. So this is legitimately a match that we have not seen. So for that reason, it is exciting. But it is for me the total undercard. Now, my presumption is that WWE will probably open with one, on the, one of the five-on-five five matches to kind of get the crowd going, get them really excited. Probably the women's match. We'll kick off the show. Um, And then not this one, the mid card champion. This could be in that second spot. But if it's me, I'm starting the show with this. And you guys know, when I do this card, I work from the bottom of the card down to the main event. When we do the ultimate preview, we do the opposite for the instant analysis. And I really did try to do that here. um, But by starting with this match, because it it by far, it's not even close. It is easily the least important match on the entire card.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, there's Yeah, without a doubt.
0: So let's move on to the two five-on-five traditional Survivor Series matches. Uh, Before we talk about the matches themselves, I want to spit a little truth about the builds to these. WWE Chris completely shot itself in the foot. And then subsequently, it tried to jump through hoops all bloodied with the foot because of their own doing, their own booking and their own creative. So... Two Saturdays ago, they announced the complete teams for (laughs) Raw and SmackDown, the men and women on Twitter. Saturday afternoon, three o'clock Eastern. They just announced it. All 20 people, one by one. Incredible. To make it interesting television, I guess they thought, they changed participants (laughs) who were already announced in the matches starting as soon as two days later that following Monday on Raw. So my question is, who the hell made the four teams if Adam Pearce and Sonya DeVille are changing them when they have been the only on-screen authority for over a year in WWE? And if there's a greater authority who's making the teams, whether it's Fox and USA Network or Stephanie McMahon or Vince McMahon, whoever they would, let's say, say it is in kayfabe, why are Pearce and DeVille overriding those people when they are more powerful and they're the ones who set the matches. All WWE needed to do if they wanted to announce some shit on Twitter and then build the rest on TV, all they needed to do was on that Saturday, announce the team captains, announce the first two members of each team besides the team captains. So you have three members of each team set, 12 of the 20. And then you say the choices were made by the networks, let's say. And then you hold competitions or storylines. You create feuds, consternation between people to fill the remaining two spots on each team, which would have given you naturally in a simple creative eight different matches or storylines across Raw and SmackDown over the ensuing two weeks to help you build for the pay-per-view. Instead, they just announced 20 names and, they, and then backed their way into changing four of them For no good reason whatsoever. The explanation for three of the four changing is mind-boggling. One of them, uh, Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn, at least they had it make some storyline sense. I'm okay if they want to slack on the champion versus champion builds for Survivor Series. Because there's only so much you can really do when the matches are predetermined because it is champion versus champion. But it is just insane to me, Chris that they couldn't come up with something better for making the teams. A 10-year-old child could have done a better job figuring out how to set up these four teams of five entering survivor series.
1: Yeah, I I again, I have no idea. Like I said a couple of weeks ago. When they announced it on Twitter, I I was it was during college football. So like This is popping up on my Twitter feed, and I'm like, wait, what is this? Are They're announcing the teams right now? Is this real? Is this some fake team I'm missing? Is it it what? And then, yeah, that's it. What? (laughs) Like, none of this makes any sense why they were named that way. Who named them? Pearson DeVille have been good, down-the-middle authority figures for a really long time. Now DeVille is being a heel with Naomi, but she's also, you know, making a tag team match uh, on the last episode of Raw to do a cheer. So I I don't really know where she's at. Pierce is randomly just being a dick. We don't know why. DeVille did the same to Aaliyah on SmackDown. They're not one in charge of the other because they're both showing up on both shows. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know who's controlling this. I don't know why they're doing it. I, I, I would be fascinated to know the decision process that came with whoever ultimately decided that this was the way to do any of this nonsense.
0: It's just insane. Like, this is one of your big pay-per-views. And look, we criticize and wish that WWE all the time would do long-term storytelling, right? And, and, and everyone always says, this is what we want from WWE. Sometimes if you can't do long-term storytelling, that's okay. Short-term storytelling works if you tell a cohesive story. They didn't tell a cohesive story here. Instead, it's a mishmash of a bunch of shit. We've already talked, or I should say, I have already talked on today's show about a lot of the people involved in these matches. Let's start with the Men's Survivor Series match, and we'll go over some storylines and things that happened on SmackDown and Raw that directly impacted the teams. We'll go over the teams. We'll do our pick afterwards. So on SmackDown, Sami Zayn was giving a rah-rah speech for the team into a mirror when he realized Hardy was just sitting there making fun of him. It was legitimately funny. I laughed at it. Uh, Zayn demanded Adam Pierce remove Hardy from the match, and he did this while Vaughn Wagner from NXT was just standing next to Pierce, like with his arms crossed. Pierce agreed to adjust the team, saying Zayn could fight Hardy and the loser would get replaced. So this is what I was mentioning is the one that kind of made sense because it was a heel trying to get a face off a team. There a reason was created for making a change. Yeah. So you had Zayn versus Hardy. Jeff hit all his signatures. He popped the fans big. He hit whisper in the wind for a near fall. Sammy got caught using the ropes on a pinfall. He argued with the referee. So Hardy took advantage of the distraction with a twist of fate and a swanton bomb. And the crowd erupted. By the way, I'm forgetting, I think it was in Norfolk, maybe Virginia, wherever yeah. this crowd was for SmackDown, incredible crowd. Just yeah. loud, sold everything the entire night. Deserves a ton of credit. Uh, Zane was then forced to watch the Titantron as his picture disappeared from the graphic, which <laughs> I thought was a really nice touch. So, <laughs> yeah. taking this on the surface, it was solid. Okay, it's more proof that there's a conspiracy against Sammy. He sold it well, and it was entertaining. Beyond that, though, I don't really get the booking. Sammy does deserve a spot, and I have no clue what the plan is going to be to replace him. Michael Cole acted like he had no idea who Wagner was uh standing in the backstage area with Pierce. Meanwhile, Wagner's on WWE TV on NXT 2.0 every single week. If this guy is going to be the replacement for Sami Zayn, that is an unmitigated disaster. I am not here to demean anyone's appearance, okay? But the dude literally looks like a caveman. He has no personality, no charisma, And the wrestling skill that he has is moderate. It's certainly not ready for the main roster. It doesn't make a shred of sense to call him up. And if they put him on this pay-per-view, it is going to be a mind-boggling decision. So the match, a lot of fun. The booking of Sammy and Jeff, that whole thing, really enjoyed it. But man, am I concerned about how they're going to fill that last spot.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with Von Wagner because I don't regularly watch NXT 2.0. I doubt. I mean, especially based on everything you're saying, I doubt they're going to put him in this match. Um I, I I my impression was he's just there to be a security guard to protect Pierce from Brock Lesnar coming back. I mean I mean that that was kind of my my thought around it and it's just that. We'll see. Um And then I I kind of thought okay, if Hardy's winning, maybe they're going to make this a, a team of faces cuz you've got McIntyre, Hardy, King Woods, and an open spot, but you also have Happy Corbin on there, so maybe not. I, there's no real rhyme or reason these teams are together either, and that's an issue.
0: Yeah, so just frustrating. Uh, and then we'll move over to the Raw side. So Seth Rollins said he'd be leading the team at Survivor Series, but would be focused on Biggie immediately afterward. He promised to take the WWE title and lead Raw to the mountaintop. Then he did his Fred Hampton thing again. I, I really need to know for listeners. Like DM me, tweet me. Am I the only one who notices that and mentions it every week, or is it commonly understood that that's what he's doing?
1: Because I, I don't, I don't know, but it it it, it kind of bothers me.
0: <laughs> it bothers me just because, you know. Look, this is a a Black Panther leader. This is someone who, uh, in Black culture, is revered, right? And for Seth to kind of be taking. Cues from that. I mean, I don't know if he saw Judas and the Black Messiah, which by the way, a fantastic movie. Did you see it that is. movie, Chris? Yes. Yes, I okay. saw that movie. Fantastic freaking movie. Um, and I'm totally forgetting off the top of my head, the guy who played Fred Hampton did a great job, but it feels like he's doing his lines, right? Like he, like he's yes, so yes. so yeah, Dan, Daniel Kalua, by the way. Daniel uh, Kalua, yes, movie, yes, is yes, the actor. Fantastic yes, actor.
1: It, he's 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 enunciating it. The same way, and I get that he's a heel, and maybe that's part of him being a heel. But it's not coming off as a heel unless you really know the context. And if
0: you really know the context, you're probably mostly just offended by it. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go out here and say it's offensive. I'm not really trying to say that. I just, I'm, I'm put off by it because I know what the reference is, right? And it's like, should he really be doing it that way? You know, I think you, I think you can be inspired by someone like him. But then take it your own way. It, to me, it feels like it's a, a characterization, like um, not a caricature of him. That's that's not fair to say. But it just feels like he's, he's taking the guy's lines, basically. Yes. You know, and this is it, a revered, it, 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 revered yeah. figure, you know? Yes. Yeah. It'd be like, like, what if like Drew McIntyre went out there and didn't an I have a dream speech? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, same idea. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, so we'll stay with Raw. We had Rey Mysterio versus Bobby Lashley in a match. Silver King, why did that match happen? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Ray stormed up to Adam Pearce angry about Lashley last week, saying they had a verbal agreement that Dominic would be in the match with Ray. Ray asked Pierce if he's a man of his word. Pearce told him to stay in his lane and made a match, Mysterio versus Lashley. So it looked like they were gonna start this at 10.30. The bell didn't ring until 10.50. So WWE literally did nothing. No promos, no matches nothing for 20 minutes of television. There were two commercial breaks, a ton of video packages, and nothing else. Now, and as part of this time, they did promote the Survivor Series card. I have no problem with that. But it was just maddening that there was such a large gap of time where nothing happened. Then they start the match, and 2 minutes in they go to a third commercial. Did you notice that as well or am I just out on a limb here?
1: Yeah, it was I I found myself unable to get did you really pay
0: attention to the match. And I think that was why. All right. So the match happens. Lashley went for the helicopter. Ray countered with a hurricane into the post. Then he did his sliding splash outside the ring. Lashley dominated from there and hit the helicopter. Lashley taunted Dominic with Ray in a delayed vertical suplex. Ray hit the 619, but Lashley sat up with Ray in his arms as the kickout. And then picked him up, put him in the hurt lock and won. And then Dominic checked on his dad afterward. As far as the match goes, quickly, entertaining, 3.5 stars and a B. I love the juxtaposition of the styles and the sizes of the two guys. And we got a clean finish. That was really good. Do you have anything to say about the match or should we keep going here? No, just Ray Ray with a big guy is always good. So, yeah. And then after the match, Adam Pearce was watching it backstage. He got gets interviewed, takes the microphone, walks onto the stage, removes Ray for the match, saying it's for the good of the team and the good of Ray. Then Austin Theory jumps in the ring, attacks Dominic with an ATL. And then Pierce rewards Theory with a spot in the match. So, okay. (laughs) So now Pierce is clearly a heel. I mean, we talked about it last week that he was trending in that direction. He's now firmly in that direction. But I still don't understand the decision because, again, Sonya Deville is already the heel authority figure. So why are there now two of them? Also, Pierce took Dominic off the team, his explanation and reasoning, was because he was not a former world champion and he wanted a team of former world champions. But then he removes Rey Mysterio, a former world champion for Austin Theory, who I love, but has not done anything in WWE or NXT when it comes to a title. So that's either horrendous consistency by WWE or it's purposeful heel tactics where he used it as an excuse once and then it didn't matter the second time. But holy shit, I mean... Like, can you, like, all these things I'm talking about with this men's match, I can't even wrap my head around them booking it this way. My only thought
1: is... It, it, it was if this was going to be a mostly or all heel team, but you've still got Finn Balor on there. You've got Seth, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and now Austin Theory. You've got four out of five of them are are heels. And that's why I was like, oh, is the SmackDown team going to be a face team? Well, no, you got Happy Corbin on there. So I... I don't again, I don't know. Like it's 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 just a complete mishmash. And can you compare it to a year ago? The way they built the Survivor Series teams was actually really interesting. Really good, yes. Yeah, that was honestly one of the best builds for the Survivor Series matches they've ever done, where you had the guys get, you know, they're trying you had the guys trying to become a team and AJ being the captain and and, and Lana being left off the being on the women's team. And like there were there were stories we're we're booting it, adding people onto the team the day before the show before the show for no reason for any of this. It's just. I my reaction to it is just like, okay I didn't really care before. Now I I, now I'm just confused even more and don't care that that's my reaction to changing the team.
0: So now we have this men's Survivor Series match and we have Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory for Raw against Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, and a TBD spot that who the hell knows? It could be Vaughn Wagner, it could be Madcap Moss, or maybe WWE surprises us and actually puts someone interesting on that team. So that's the setup. Going into this, man, this is completely one-sided. Just like last year where Raw came in, it was clearly the better team in the men's match. I think we have that same situation here. The problem is you don't want to beat Drew McIntyre. You don't want to beat King Woods. At least I don't want them to beat King Woods again after he just had the match with Roman Reigns. He technically won that match, but still he got his ass kicked in it. So how do you book this for the Raw team to win? I don't actually know. Maybe Bobby Lashley is key to that, him being on that team, but the Raw team is much stronger I cannot see all of the members of Raw eating pins, whereas with SmackDown, it's really only McIntyre that creates that issue. So I'm gonna go with the Raw team winning, and really the Raw team should win and needs to win because you know they're, they're rebuilding this Raw roster and they've done a damn good job. It is stacked. It is way better than it was two months ago, and you really need to solidify that by giving them a win in this match.
1: Yes, I'm also going with Team Raw. Um, you probably obviously they're all maybe Drew McIntyre is the only one left and he gets beat down by like three guys or something like that, or there's some sort of DQ or something. I I don't know, but the other guys can take some sort of pin in this. I think now with the raw team, do you think it's going to be pretty dominant, or do you think we're going to
0: get down to a a one on one situation? Well, I think the way you excuse Drew McIntyre losing is by a three-on-one. So, yeah. you know, last year, I think they clean sweeped. Is that correct? Yes. So I think you do a scenario where everyone gets eliminated uh, and it's McIntyre versus Rollins, Owens, and Lashley. Yeah. The three heels. Yep, and so. the heels triumph because it's three-on-one.
1: Yep, that's what I think is going to happen too. The, the, the Austin Theory can take a pin. Finn Balor... Yeah, you know, we took a pin on Monday night, you can take another pin, I guess. And it, it makes sense with the heels. So that that's exactly what I was going to think
0: too. Yeah. I just think that it makes total sense that way. And, and look, Drew eating four finishers and losing. I mean, you can get away with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially yeah. since he's not in the world title program right now. So he's not doing anything that precludes him from getting pinned. Whereas you have Rollins and Owens, both challenging for the WWE championship. You have Balor on the precipice And you have Lashley, who lost a bunch recently and is now just trying to regain his form. So it does make a lot more sense for the men's team to win. So let's move over to the women's match, which less problematic than the men's from a storytelling perspective, but still a little problematic. Uh, So we'll start with SmackDown. Uh, The SmackDown team got introduced by Sonya Deville, Naomi's music hit, and she just started a brawl. Then WWE went to commercial break and they came back and there was a six women tag team match already happening. So we had Sasha Banks, Naomi, and Aaliyah against Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, and Natalia. Naomi got the hot tag, and Natalia hit a cool draping suplex off the ring apron outside. Natalia destroyed her. Then Baszler threw her into the barricade. Natalia also hit her with a really sick lariat that folded her in half. Naomi came back with a cool roll-up that she turned into a tag for Aaliyah, who hit some fez presses, a neckbreaker, and a fisherman suplex bridge for a near fall. Natalia had Aaliyah in a sharpshooter and tried to use the ropes for leverage, when Naomi snapped Natalia's neck over the ropes and Aaliyah flipped her over, countering the sharpshooter in a really nice pinning combination for the one, two, three in 12 minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah. Yay. Time for the women. That's not, you know, the main pillars of the division. Uh, Aliyah celebrated backstage. Sonia asked how long she's known Naomi and then told her, you're off the team. Aaliyah was upset later when Mustafa Ali appeared as the devil on her shoulder. Ricochet appeared as the angel on her shoulder, giving her advice. It was really cool, I thought, Chris, for WWE and Natalia to put Aaliyah over in that spot. And the crowd went wild for this match. Like, literally, I was watching them. They were on their feet and loud and cheering. It was booked well. The Naomi attack happened for no reason. As far as replacing Aaliyah... I don't get it at all. They got the crowd to pop for a new person who was in her debut match and then just immediately ended that momentum by pulling her out of the Survivor Series match. Now, maybe there's a storyline reason uh, so she can get her spot back on Friday. Maybe she gets an opportunity in another match. But if not, it's WWE again failing while trying to establish someone new. It was a nice touch to have the men and the women interacting naturally backstage. But why are you giving Aaliyah all of this time if you're going to have her achieve something and then immediately take it away from her? So I really liked this match. It was super entertaining. The crowd sold it for WWE. But pulling her out of the match, it has to be a wait and see because I have no idea what the storyline plan is.
1: Yeah, the goal was to what? Get more heat on Sonya? To... to, to get more baby face heat for Aaliyah. Like you just gave her the moment. Everybody's into her. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. You made like, a good like point. It's all, it's, you made a
0: good point. It's like WWE is focused on getting heel heat on the authority figures over giving face heat or face wins or victories to the actual talent who's performing.
1: Right. It's like there always has to. This is like whenever somebody comes they they can never push somebody too hard when they come. they always have to be reined in in some form they can't go too high too fast, or else I don't know, but right, like what's just, the worst thing the what's
0: what's God forbid the worst thing that happens the fans get behind someone
1: yeah i, I don't I don't know it i, I this like make sense. they can't they're all they clearly were behind her, they can't just let that keep going. they have to put hurdles or to, they have to pull her back and have her climb back up again to get to where she already was. I, It's just like they do this with so many people all the time and they, they don't need to. Just let's, like, this is, you know, we, you know, what AEW does is just they generally just make everybody feel like they're important and you should you should cheer for them if they're a face. Like, we don't need to artificially create these things to create a new path that somebody has to go on. Um, When, when, when they come up, it was like that with Keith Lee. You know, he comes up. He gets uh, he gets some big matches, but then he has to be knocked down a peg, knocked down some right. pegs before he can get back up. It's like why, why,
0: why do we have to do that? They just, they, they
1: do this all the time.
0: And in this case, they did it immediately after. Like <laughs> yes. they didn't even wait a week; they just did it right away. I don't, I don't know. It is crazy. So that's really it for this. Um, the women on Raw, the tag team champions, uh, Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash, were involved in singles matches we talked about earlier. Um, but Nikki's not even on the team. Uh, they fought Carmella and Queen Zelina who both are on the team. Uh, Bianca Belair was in a match against someone that wasn't involved in survivor series. So that there really was no specific raw team building for this match. So let's go over the teams and we'll pick it on the raw side. We have Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Zelina Vega. On the SmackDown side, we have Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia. And that one open spot that's to be determined, I presume, Friday on the go-home show. So Chris, we're in a really tight spot with these. Here's why. Again, just like with the men, you look at these teams and you say, okay, who shouldn't get beaten? And I go back to Raw and I see Bianca Belair, who lost her feud to Becky Lynch and has lost more than she otherwise should have recently. She shouldn't lose. Rhea Ripley who's one of these pillars, these younger women pillars of the division, she shouldn't lose. Liv Morgan just became the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. She shouldn't lose. In fact, if anything, she should be the sole survivor because you want to push her forward in that way. And then you look over at the SmackDown team, you have Sasha Banks, who ideally shouldn't lose. Um, Shayna Baszler, who also ideally shouldn't lose, but loses all the time, so it doesn't hurt her. And then Shotzi, Natalia, Zelina, and Carmella, Those four, they can all lose. no big deal. So I look at the Raw team again here and I say, I don't know how you have the SmackDown team win. It doesn't make sense to do that. And I don't, I, I couldn't imagine a scenario where SmackDown wins both five on five matches, but I'm just thinking through the booking and the only way I see it actually working is for Raw to win here. So I'm picking Raw to win the Women's Survivor Series match.
1: Yeah, I mean, you and I agree on so many picks all the time and I wish there were more things we disagreed on. But yeah, I I mean, Bianca can't take a pin here. Liv Morgan can't take a pin here. This is a spot where you have a lot of faces that need to win, just like with the men's match. You have a lot of heels that need to win. They're just they happen to be on Raw because as we said after the draft, the Raw roster is absolutely loaded. Yes. (laughs) And, and, And so this is the natural result, I guess. So. Yeah, I'm going with with Raw as well. I don't know why Nikki is not on this card as a tag team champion. I It's probably a testament to all the women they've let go and the state of the roster that they don't have a women's tag team match on this card and instead do this. So um, they did
0: slightly. Yeah. They I, I will make a correction because I did mention it earlier in the show. They did slightly tell a story where. Carmella and Zelina made fun of Nikki for not being on the team, not being good enough to be on the team. She lost her match. But yeah, she's a champion, though. She's literally a champion. She's literally lost
1: her match. But like,
0: come on. No, it's true. And regarding you and I predicting things uh, at the same time, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, someone might say that sometimes predictable things are good. Well, I didn't have the sound drop for that, so you're just going to have to live with me saying that and not (laughs) Triple H. But sometimes predictable things are good. And look, uh, AEW Full Gear, we just did the ultimate preview for that. I think we predicted almost every single outcome. But guess what? The show was great. So I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, So I'm actually surprised though. you said Raw. I thought you were going to go on the SmackDown side just because you would think it'd be one and one. You would, but... (laughs) let me ask you this Uh, between the men's and women's match if Smackdown had to win one of them let's say WWE wants to do 50-50 which one do you think the Smackdown team would win I think the I think the men because it's got more faces I would say actually the opposite I would say the women just because you have Sasha Banks Shayna and Shotzi who they're introducing and trying to build on it I think they'd I think it's easier to make that one work with Zelina, Carmella, uh, and Ripley all screwing each other up. Uh, Liv can get caught, and then Belair can get beat by a Baszler-Sasha combination. So I, I would actually lean the opposite direction. So finally, something we disagree on. That's- that's cool. There we go. There we go. All right. So three more matches left here on this Survivor Series Ultimate Preview. Let's stay with the women and go to the Women's Champions match. Charlotte Flair, the SmackDown Women's Champion, against Becky Lynch, the Raw Women's Champion. Charlotte cut a promo on SmackDown, about Becky changing her personalities. Flair said there's nothing natural about Becky, which had to be a purposeful line given, you know, the obvious. Uh, Flair said Lynch's new nickname will be Becky Uh Uh-Oh after she loses. And then I thought she did a very funny gimmick where she got the whole crowd chanting with her and gave a whole bunch of examples of why it would be Becky Uh Uh-Oh. And I have to say, Charlotte's promo, at least to me, was one of her best in a long time. It was good mic work from top to bottom. It was different. We didn't have all the pauses that we normally get with her where it's kind of robotic. I really enjoyed what Charlotte put out there on Friday.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's always I mean, she's always been a good promo, and, and clearly there's some extra kind of animosity, I think, um, real or not, in this um uh, in this story. And that, that always brings out the most of her. And and actually while you were recapping that, um, BT Sport has an interview with Charlotte. They just tweeted and Charlotte says, um, quote, it's, it obviously rubs people the wrong way. But if I was a man, would it rub people the wrong way? Why Charlotte's difficult? Because I stand up for what I believe in. That's a quote from Charlotte in the interview. And Becky Lynch uh, quote tweeted it and says, no one on our roster acts like this man or a woman. Gender ain't the issue here. So they're leaning into that whole bit from the terrible title swap, which is good. I was really excited for this match because of that, as bad as it was. And they're clearly leaning into that. And I think I, I think you get a little extra fire out of
0: Charlotte now in this specific feud. And it came out in that promo. I also appreciate, look, it, that was a shoot what happened, right? And they have managed, and WWE is not deft, right? They, they don't have that, Nice little soft touch, but somehow here they have succeeded in turning a shoot into a work shoot, but without going over that segment again. So they're not saying, "Hey, you remember yes. the title swap where this happened?" Yes. they f- they're putting that in the past and they're using that as a catalyst to tell the larger story of Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. And I really got to give them credit for that because, again, they are not deft in this case. They happen to be. And I appreciated that. But Yes.
1: And, and, and in, the, in, the, in the words of Hulk Hogan, you know, jabroni marks without a life that don't know is a work when you work a work and you work yourself into a shoot marks. So much I think love H, at the end. Yeah, Much
0: to, love HH. You have to do that at the end. Uh, now, look, <laughs> well, I called. Did, yeah. uh, sorry. I called Charlotte's promo really good. OK. Becky Lynch on Raw. Shit all over her, okay? Charlotte was really good. Becky was phenomenal on Monday night. Sorry, AJ, she was phenomenal. So Becky replayed Charlotte's promo, saying they used to be best friends until Charlotte could not stand not being the star of their duo. Becky recalled her slap of flair, so she brought it all the way back to the start of the man and said, she's more than a ripoff of someone else, referring to Ric Flair. Charlotte being a ripoff of Rick. Becky said she's reinvented herself to stay on top. Her success has made Charlotte resentful and bitter, and she'll beat the piss out of her at Survivor Series. Uh Uh-oh. So she calls back to the promo from Friday night. Like I said, Charlotte's promo, good, very good, really good, whatever you want to say. Becky Lynch's promo was absolutely fantastic. That was a good one, yeah. This was the Becky
1: that we really. This is the this is the Becky we saw before she left. This is the Becky leading into the Ronda Rousey feud and all that, where there's like he's like we said, there's a little bit of realness to that, a little bit of real animosity and intensity, and it comes out. And this is why people. That's why people fell in love with Becky Lynch when she had her her big run. I mean, I know she's a heel right now and she ta- she was that with the live stuff, but she's able to turn that to Charlotte.
0: And she be turned that- from face versus Charlotte to heel versus live at the snap of a yeah. finger. Right. And it's, it's it's it's
1: it's it's face, but it's like that tweener face, that yes. anti-hero, that stone cold type of deal where she's not she's not she we love her for it, but she's not doing it for us. She's doing it for her. And. We love that, and that—that's how talented she was in that specific promo to jump from one to one. And for this match, we're getting you know the man Becky Lynch from was it 2019, and and
0: I'm excited for that. I mean, she's just honestly operating at another level. Uh, is she the greatest women's wrestler going today in terms of in-ring action? No, she's not. Okay, she's not. I'd the say best. Charlotte's better. Uh, I, I don't know about that, but she's she's not the best in WWE. Bailey, Oscar. Sasha Banks. You can make cases for others who are more athletic than her, but she can go obviously in the ring. But her talent on the mic, her charisma, her ability to sell a match and sell a storyline and just in sometimes create something out of nothing. I already talked about earlier what she did with Liv Morgan that I also found to be phenomenal. It is next freaking level. She is on par with the best men's wrestlers who work the mic, the MJFs, you know, the Roman Reigns Mm -hmm. these days. Uh, She obviously was, she exceeded Reigns and he caught up to her. But you get the point I'm making here. She is literally in the top tier. And because of that, man, like I know people, some people love Britt Baker. They love Asuka. They love Bianca Belair. They love some of the Joshi women. uh, They love Io Shirai. I, I don't really care. Sasha Banks. Becky Lynch is the greatest female wrestler going right now because she has all of that extra on top of what she's able to do in the ring. I was just so impressed. You guys have heard me say it twice on today's show now. I was so impressed with what she did on Raw. I thought it was the best part of the entire week in WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, you know we, we criticize too many
1: times, too many of the women's promos, and, and a lot with Charlotte, as good as she is, they they're, they speak in sarcasm like right. 60% of the time. Right. And Becky doesn't do that. She gets right to the point. She gets in your face verbally and she just goes with it and she says it and she just she's different because of that. She's not acting like she's, you know, she's she's not acting like she's too good for somebody else. She's acting like she's going to punch somebody else in the face. And this is a wrestling show. And that's how you get people on your side. And that's why she's. So good at what she does.
0: You know what I realized? We got to get some Becky Lynch sound drops on this podcast. I was looking at my list. I'm like, how do I, I don't have anything from Becky. And I have very few women's sound drops also. So we need to, um, we need to fix that. But hey, let's, let's replace in this one, Vince McMahon with Becky Lynch. Okay. I'm Vince McMahon, damn it, let's hear it. She's Becky Lynch, damn it, let's hear it. Uh, So, okay, as far as this match goes, we talked about Becky too long. I sang her praises. Uh, Tough tough decision here. Um, yeah, this one is, is difficult. I I think I have to go with Becky Lynch. Um, just because she is the number one star. And and if we're going to pick Roman reigns later, I'm not saying we both are, but if we are, I think you have to apply the same rule or lesson here. Is it possible we get a schmoz or we get Charlotte purposefully cheating? Uh, was it them that fought or was it maybe Charlotte versus Bianca Belair or something where like one of them picked up the top of the announce table and caused the weirdest disqualification (laughs) ever? Like I could see that happening here. And I really, really hope they don't give us a screw job finish like that. That's the way I would feel about it. Um, I could see either of them winning. I don't think either of them will be hurt if they lose clean. I'm going to stick with Becky Lynch winning and look, I'm three for three picking raw right now. Uh, sorry, four for four picking Raw right now to start this show. So I don't know if that's all going to come to fruition, but that's how I feel going into the pay per view.
1: Yeah, I think we're getting the schma's finish here, whether that's, you know, Bianca or Liv Morgan running in or, uh, you know, something like that. I, I think we'll probably get some people involved in this. But otherwise, if I had to pick a clean winner, I think I'm going with Becky too, because, you know, if, if we want to make this real, if everybody is pissed at Charlotte, and everybody does love Becky backstage, they'll give it to Becky. Yeah, I mean, it it, it would fit if that's if that's what it's supposed to be. You know, if this is this is Charlotte's punishment for the belt swap thing or something. I I don't know, um, but given where Becky is, given Becky's character. You know, Charlotte's already lost as champion like two or three times this year. I don't think another one's going to hurt her, especially a a non-title match. So, yeah, I'm with you again and going with Becky.
0: All righty, let's keep going here. I saved this because these two storylines kind of fell in together. Uh, The tag team champions going head to head. The Usos, the SmackDown tag team champions against RK-Bro, the Raw tag team champions. So on Raw, after a segment with Kevin Owens, Big E walked to the back when the Usos beat the ever-loving shit out of him. they Then they talked trash to RK-Bro, so Riddle ran in to make the save. Sonya Deville then made a tag team match, saying it was not a typical move for WWE to do this. And you could say that she was being sarcastic, but she was not being sarcastic. They were trying to play it off like, oh, we never do this, but they do it all the time. So (laughs) that was weird. Uh, Seth Rollins then came out to watch. Two minutes into the match, Rollins attacked Riddle for a disqualification for no reason whatsoever, so Randy Orton ran in to make the save, and all of a sudden, we got a six-man tag team match. It felt like I was watching SmackDown in 2006 or 2008. So we get the match. It's a six-man match, like I said. Biggie and Riddle both got hot tags to go through their signatures. It then went AEW style with everyone wrestling at once. The finish was Rollins hitting Riddle with a rolling forearm first to the front of the head and then to the back of his head and then folding him in half for the 1-2-3. The Usos tried to attack after the match, and Orton hit one of them with the RKO. I missed who it was. Orton later backstage yelled at Riddle for helping others and not putting the team first. He said all he cares about is the team, which touched Riddle because Randy finally said he cared about him and the titles. He also gave us an all-time, Chris, promo drop for this show. It doesn't make sense to anybody because nobody says that. No, I don't. Understand because nobody understands. So there's gonna be a million <laughs> different uses for that. But not to be outdone, we also got a sound drop for the show from Riddle in the same promo segment. Because you know what they say. Your best friend, or your enemy's friend, is your friend's enemy and your enemy's friend. So that's a can they coexist sound drop that we can use forever. So thank you very much, Orton and Riddle R.K. Bro. Uh, as far as this goes, Chris, the old SmackDown booking was okay but I liked the match. The end was odd because WWE has conditioned us to expect a finisher when someone big loses, in this case, a Raw Tag Team Champion. So the question is whether that was on purpose to make Rollins look strong, to make Riddle look bad, which I presume it wasn't, to establish a new finisher possibly for Rollins, or just WWE for once not ending a match with a finisher, which would be refreshing. If it's the latter, that kind of makes me happy. And as I said, the backstage stuff with RKBRO was fantastic. And Riddle, to me, came off like Jim Brewer in Half-Baked. That's the character that I saw when I heard Riddle's talking there. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Okay. Do you agree with that comparison? Yeah. Okay. So what did you think about all this? I loved that
1: finish. I mean, I, I mean, I was going to bring it up. You kind of stole my thunder there. Sorry. The, the, the elbow, elbow roll up. Like, whoa. Like, okay. Matches can just end with moves. That's sweet. However, I bet this is going to become a finisher. I do not think WWE is suddenly being like, nah, we can end moves with non-finishers. I think this is going to be a new finisher. But in the moment, it was a cool, fun, surprising way to end a match. So I liked it. Um, You know, R- Riddle's taken a number of losses here, so it just kind of adds to that, and it added to the story that he and Randy were telling. So, yeah, it, w- it was fine. It, it, you know, this is, again... To go from one thing and then, you know, to make a, a bigger match on top of this match, like like with the women earlier, just a strange kind of episode where they used as few people as possible. But,
0: you know, I enjoyed this. So the match, again, is the Usos against RK Bro. And I don't think there's a wrong pick here. Either team can lose. Either team can win. And neither of them will be hurt by losing, if, if that's the case. Uh, RK Bro, you know, we've seen... Riddle individually lose multiple times, including right here. So considering they pinned Riddle here, why can't you pin him at the pay-per-view? Of course you can. The Usos, we've seen Jimmy lose, we've seen Jay lose, and we've seen Roman Reigns admonish them when they do lose. So he could, they could easily lose. And then the next Friday on SmackDown, Reigns is pissed off at them, or he's even pissed off backstage before his match. So there's really no wrong answer here. Because I'm so heavy raw with all of my picks, and because the Roman Reigns storyline is so important to WWE... I'm gonna have the Usos winning this match, the first Smackdown prediction for me. I have a feeling that's the direction they're gonna go, but this one is really a 50-50. It could go either way, and I don't think either team would be hurt. I'm going
1: Usos too. I don't I don't think it's as much 50-50 because as we look on this card, where where is SmackDown going to pick up wins? Probably outside of the main event, this seems like the most natural
0: spot for SmackDown to pick up a win. So I'm going with the Usos. I think another situation that we didn't really discuss is going back to the original match, the mid-card champions match. If they want Priest to lose, which by the way, still undefeated in singles matches on the main roster. Um, But if they wanted him to lose, theoretically, they could have Nakamura catch him with a roll or a pinning combination and then he snaps after the bell and beats the shit out of Nakamura. So I don't, they could do it that yeah. way. I don't think I made a pick on that
1: match, actually. And, and that is what I'm picking. I'm picking Nakamura winning and Damian Priest freaking out and beating him down. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure I didn't make a pick. So that's actually, I'm picking that.
0: So that's, our, that's the one that we differ on because I picked Damian Priest. Yeah. So we're good. Okay. So I'm glad I went back to it. So you were able to do that. Yes. That's solid. Okay. So that's uh, everything except what is surely going to be the main event i was going to do an airplane joke we're not going to do that uh the main event of Survivor i've seen that series. movie
1: i've seen that movie <laughs> uh
0: the world champions going head to head roman reigns versus big e and you can call it the world champions match you can call it their survivor series main event you can call it whatever you want i want to call it the big meaty men Slap and meat invitational He goes, Chris, let me tell you, in this match, huh, there's gonna be a lot of beef flying in the ring. The ring the tonight, there's a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And there's more, but we'll talk about those later. Uh so before we get to the match itself, uh Biggie opened raw saying he and Reigns were already set to fight. He knew it was gonna happen, but Reigns in the bloodline made it personal by taking out Kofi Kingston. And Xavier Woods. So he was going to beat Reigns so bad that he took a piece of Reigns with him that Reigns will never get back. After the six man tag team match, Big E grabbed Jimmy to tell Reigns he received Reigns' message and then delivered one of his own with a big ending to Jimmy Uso. It was very passionate and aggressive. He was screaming into the camera. It's a side of Big E that we just really have not seen before. We've seen him get passionate, we've seen him get aggressive not both combined to this level. It, I, just like I came around, Chris, to the CM Punk Eddie Kingston build, I feel the same way here. They did plenty of setup with New Day and Bloodline on their way to Survivor Series that the direct Reigns and Big E build only really needs one week of back and forth promos. And I sincerely hope, given that Adam Pearce told Big E on the show not to interfere, not to get involved, he takes that as a raw warning. And he goes ahead and gets involved Friday night on SmackDown in the go-home. That's my hope and my expectation. But just like with the women's match, this one, to me, has plenty of build. I think they were able to successfully tell the stories of those two matches, despite not having the characters interact face-to-face on the television shows over the last three weeks. And I am not anticipating this match any less because of it. This is one of my most anticipated wrestling matches of the entire year, despite that it's not a direct build, despite that it seems to be a throwaway pay-per-view. These are your two world champions, Roman Reigns, the, arguably the wrestler, number one wrestler in the world, him and Kenny Omega, you can pick whoever you want, and Biggie, the guy that WWE is pushing hardest as a face right now. I'm very excited for this match.
1: This is the match that Survivor Series is about. Like, they're not really about the Survivor Series matches anymore. They're about the world title matches guys going up against each other. And that's what it was last year. with drew and in in, in in Roman. That's what it is this year with Biggie and Roman, a matchup. I don't know if we've ever had. I'm trying to think back to maybe Roman's inner kind of title reign or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember seeing this match. And I'm I'm as interested in it for that reason as anything else. They have built to this. It's been a decent build. The, the Because of the New Day tie-ins, um, that was a natural way to tie it all together. And we've, we've had the, the Bloodline versus the New Day match that opened up a Raw for some reason um, a few weeks back that was great, and we, we were hoping that might be the match we get for this. But you do the singles match because you want to highlight these two guys as the biggest guys in your company. And that's exciting. And I'm excited. I, I think these guys are going to knock it out of the park. Like you said, probably one of the most anticipated matches of the year, just in terms of you can't wait to see these guys together because because we haven't seen it. So I am extremely excited for this one. I think it's going to be a great match. I think it's going to be be the number one thing we talk about coming out of the show.
0: Oh, I mean, it better be if it's the main event. Now, right. uh, to my knowledge, I agree. We have not seen them one on one. We did see them uh, exactly, I think, two months ago, three months ago. With Bobby Lashley in a triple threat on Raw, that really was the start of the Big Meaty Men Slapping Meat Invitational. (laughs) Big Meaty Men Slapping Meat. (laughs) Because that match, if memory serves, was an absolute banger. Everybody knows I deliver banger after banger after banger after banger. And Roman Reigns has definitely delivered. Uh, to that degree. And, and Biggie has too, for the most part. I know I'm going overboard with the sound drops here, but hey, whatever. It's my show. Uh, so look, excited for this match. I have no idea how they're going to book this. I mean, after the finish we got with Xavier Woods, King Woods, uh, sorry not to diminish you, uh, and Reigns on SmackDown, where the Usos pulled Woods out of the ring, it was a disqualification, and we didn't really get a finish. I mean, I just can't see any way they have Big E beat Reigns. And I wish they would. Just like I wished and thought, hey, maybe there's a possibility. They bring the demon back specifically to take the title off Roman Reigns temporarily, and then he wins it back. Maybe they have Big E here beat Roman Reigns to knock his ego just a little bit so that he's vulnerable on the road to WrestleMania. I I wish I could get behind thinking that way. I just can't. I don't know how they book it. If they have Reigns beat Big E clean, Big E better get seven 2.99 false finish counts. You know, he better take Roman Reigns to the end of the freaking earth with Reigns hitting a low blow and snapping Big E's neck and then pinning a lifeless body. Because I cannot imagine a scenario in which you've built Big E up this well, and then you just have him lose clean semi-easily. To Roman Reigns, they did a pretty good job last year with Drew McIntyre, but I think you need to be even more sensitive to the Big E character than the Drew McIntyre character from a year ago. Especially given this is in front of fans, and that one was not. And you, you know, you're going to get a booze for Reigns winning no matter what, but you don't want people to turn on Big E, and that is possible given how WWE has booked certain things. So I think Roman Reigns is the obvious pick and prediction here. But I just, I don't know how they're going to finish this. And and you know what? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that just amps up the anticipation. But you know what? Because it's WWE, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer, it also amps up the dread. And they proved that dread to be accurate in the Demon match. I hope they don't prove it to be accurate here.
1: Yeah, I- I'm picking Roman as well. I think we're going to get an Usos interference because I-, I think Usos are going to win. Now, uh, our are um, King Woods and maybe Kofi, depending on how he is going to come out as well. P- potentially. I-, I mean, they might, they may brawl on the ramp or something like that, but I think ultimately we're getting some sort of Uso double super kick leading to a spear that ends this match as the way to protect Biggie. And I think that's a perfectly fine way to protect Biggie. It fits in the story because they're all tied together. Um, and, and and to me, that feels like the most natural way to end it. I I don't see Big E losing straight up cleanly because just kind of because of of what he is.
0: I would like a scenario where Kofi Kingston, who's not booked on the pay-per-view, like the Usos run in, Kofi runs in to take them out. The whole thing distracts Big E. One of the Usos in the distraction is able to take out Big E, roll him into the ring. Reigns does something and beats him. You know, I just want a clean finish in the ring. WWE far too often does not give us those. And a good pay-per-view, even if it's with and when I say clean, I don't mean clean in terms of like no interference, nothing happens. I'm saying clean in terms of like there's a definitive finish. It's not a disqualification. It's not a countout. Yeah. It's not a schmoz. It's a guy gets pinned, a guy submits, a guy gets knocked out. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's Reigns putting Biggie in the guillotine and putting him to sleep. I, is that what happened to Drew? I was actually looking this up exactly.
1: Jay Uso ran out, tussled with McIntyre. Roman got a low blow followed by a super kick from Jay. And then Roman got the guillotine, and 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 Drew passed out.
0: Okay, so that's what, okay. So maybe it's the exact same booking.
1: Yeah, that, that's basically I, I, what I, I just put
0: together. Is. Yeah. Yep. And I could yeah. see Biggie maybe Biggie escapes it once, and then he gets put in a second time, falls asleep. I mean, that's the way you beat guys like that. I think that's the way John Moxley beat Eddie Kingston, also. Right. Um, it makes sense to beat someone in that manner. And if if you're gonna have Biggie lose, I I presume it's better. From to pass out rather than tap out or get pinned. Yeah, i have
1: never. I I I think they just. I think they overuse it. I think wrestling in general overuses the passed out to kind of recreate the
0: Stone Cold moment from WrestleMania. Well, 13. look at all the mentions we just had. Yeah,
1: yeah. Course. So it, it it's it's done too much. You know, there was that there was that period with Roman where he was winning everything by submission. And I wasn't a fan of that because to me the one two three is just it's it's just it's more definitive. Mm-hmm. It, it it's it's. Especially with a crowd. Like you need a reaction when you got that. When a guy passes out and they ring the bell, it's just like, oh, okay. Kind of like the Daniel Bryan Miro finish. It was just kind of a deflating finish. When I think I think they want to give the crowd something to react to and a pinning, and a pin does that. So I I think he wins with a pin.
0: Okay, very good. So that is our ultimate preview for WWE Survivor Series. We broke down every match, analyzed a lot of stuff there for you with predictions for everything, what is left is for us to give our pre-show expectation grades. And when it comes to this part of the show, Chris, I always go to you first. So it's a six match card. We already discussed the build being a little bit wonky. What is your expectation grade for WWE Survivor Series?
1: This is so tough because I'm someone who evaluates shows and matches and everything by the emotions and and the story and the ramifications as opposed to just the wrestling was good, but in this show, it's pretty much going to be just about the wrestling and, and any story they tell within the match. So that kind of impacts how I how I grade it, and I'm gonna go B plus, but I don't feel I, I I'm I'm on the border between B and B plus for for this, and I think. I think a great match from Biggie and Roman to close it is probably going to push it up to
0: a B plus. So we have to pick one though. I need you to pick a single one. Uh B+. So I'm damn, we're, we're really aligned. We were aligned on full gear. We're aligned here again. I'm right there with you with B+ only because of the quality of the matches. the The potential for Biggie Roman reigns and Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch, the tag team match. Can be an absolute banger. The mid-card match, like I said, it could be a surprise. And both five-on-five matches, we can argue and complain about the build and the lack of creativity all we want. At the end of the day, the 20 people competing in those matches are extremely talented performers, maybe with the exception of two or three. Um, but most of them, 18 of the 20, let's say, are extremely talented in the ring which means we have the potential for awesome matches. Survivor Series historically, uh, when I say historically, I mean over the last couple of years since the newest brand split. The builds haven't been good going in. The pay-per-views have really delivered. They just have. Mm-hmm. All those Brock Lesnar matches, the women's matches were really good. Some of the five-on-fives have absolutely banged. The, the year that was Raw smacked out NXT was a fantastic show. So I think, you know it's going to be in Brooklyn, so we know that there's going to be a awesome, really hot crowd for it. That's going to put over a lot of the people we like. So I think putting all of that together, I'm also going to go with a pre-show expectation grade of B plus. That's not to necessarily say that I think the pay-per-view is as important as Full Gear was, which you and I both gave A minus expectation grades. It's just what is the likelihood of this being a very entertaining show, and at what level is it going to grade at the end? And that's what my expectation is. That offers plenty of room for it to fall below, but I think it's a limited ceiling to really exceed it. So exactly. I, I think, yep. you know, an A minus show would be a, a shocker and in a positive yes. way, it would be a great surprise for this show to wind up in an A range.
1: Yeah. I Right. I, I find it very, very hard that this show will end up in the A range. That's why I was between B and B plus. Yeah. um, So that's basically what's different about the show is that the ceiling
0: for it is not high. Yep. And so a- absolutely agree yeah. with you. So We gave our pre-show expectation grades. You all will be able to give yours as well. You can do that by following us on Twitter at gettingovercast. As soon as we finish that live 30-minute show on Twitter spaces from 6.30 to 7 p.m. Eastern, you guys will be able to, by the way, not only listen to us preview the card live, talk about some of the go-home stuff from SmackDown, but we also give you guys an opportunity at the end of the show to yourselves, join in through audio, ask questions, provide comments on the pay-per-view. After that is all wrapped up, the Silver King will tweet out a poll on Twitter. Again, our account at Getting Overcast. You guys will be able to vote for your pre-show expectation grade. And then as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air, I will tweet out another poll where you can give your post-show grade. As far as getting our post-show grades, that's very easy because Chris and I will be back Sunday night as soon as WWE Survivor Series goes off the air with Survivor Series Instant Analysis, a podcast, like I said, we tape it right after the pay-per-view ends. We throw it right into your feed or inbox, whatever. Um, And then we tweet out the show as soon as it goes live. Another reason to follow us at Getting Overcast. But that show will come out Sunday night, first thing Monday morning, um, super, super early. That way you guys can listen to it right after the pay-per-view. And it is part of a loaded week here at Getting Over because we will also be back this Thursday for our normal AEW and NXT show. And of course, after the Survivor Series Instant Analysis on Sunday night, we will have another show the following Tuesday recapping Fallout and things that didn't have anything to do with Survivor Series from SmackDown, and the ensuing law. So plenty of Getting Over left for you to consume this week. Again, I hope you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I hope you subscribe to the podcast if you are a first-time listener. And I also hope that you remember Getting Over. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. They are immensely important, and anywhere else that you happen to listen to the show, if you can leave a rating and/or review, please drop those five stars, leave the rating and review, and any one of those that I see, whether it's Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, we will read your five-star reviews on this show. Thank you all for listening to this extended WWE edition ahead of Survivor Series. Core Vintage Chris Vanini, This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.